0: You're listening to a message from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix that creates space for people to practice the ways of Jesus together. Can we give it up for Lisa for doing a good job guiding today? Yeah, you were great. Thank you for doing that. And then also, if you didn't know, but um, the Colder Jelly family is here with us and Baby Roy is here in the back. So uh, congratulations to them on their new first baby. They normally are joining us on the Zoom, but they decided to brave the heat and come out and join us today. So we're thankful for them. Um, So yeah, I just wanted to say those couple things before we get started. But as always, before I start my sermon, um, I always like to start off with a land acknowledgement to honor the native people that existed here before us. And so tonight we honor the first peoples of current day downtown Phoenix, the Thawnau Otham Nation. In the words of Lisa Sharon Harper, they were and are here. We see you, we honor you, and we thank you for laying foundations of harmony, balance, truth, and honor. Thank you for stewarding the land where Creator settled your people. We bless you. We bless your elders past, present, and emerging. Well, as we continue to move through the liturgical calendar, we find ourselves on week eight of Ordinary Time, reading through the parable of the weeds and the wheat, Because Jesus lived in an agrarian society, it shouldn't surprise us that his many parables use metaphors related to farming. Because when he told these stories to people, his audience would have resonated with words about fields, seeds, and crops. Jesus tells a very interesting and rather mysterious story in our passage tonight about a, a wheat farmer who also has an enemy. One who secretly sows weeds in the dead of night. That alone is intriguing, but things get even more interesting when the story ends with a rather surprising twist in terms of how the farmer reacts to the agricultural mischief of the mysterious enemy. The story raises many questions, such as what does this parable mean? What do the weeds stand for? Who is the enemy? And why not judge the good from the bad by harvesting the wheat field the same way that many of us harvest vegetable gardens? Let's read our passage. Matthew 13, starting in verse 24. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? And he answered them, An enemy has done this. And then the slaves said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, no, for in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Skipping verse to 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples approached him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And Jesus answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels and they will collect out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers. And they will throw them into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Let anyone with ears to hear, listen and understand. Now I'm wondering if, anyone paid attention to who was left out of the interpretation of the parable. There is a people group that was named when Jesus said the parable, but now they are left out when the parable is interpreted. I recently discovered the work of Raj Bharat Pata. His perspective on this parable of the wheat is one of the best works I've actually ever read. And I want to share his writings with us tonight that have been adapted to fit our context and, of course, my voice, but I also want to give honor to him and his work. Raj Bharat Pata is an ordained minister of the Andhra Evangelical Lutheran Church in India and co-editor of the book Multiple Faiths in Postcolonial Cities, Living Together After Empire. I thought that sounded like a good book and he says this in the context of black lives matter there are many people in the public spheres who are arguing that the rhetoric should be all lives matter they insist that in the ambient of all lives mattering black lives will also be there. However, with the reality of ongoing violence against black people and their torture and killing, it has been revealed that black lives did not and do not matter at all. Therefore, the cry and demand has been Black Lives Matter, which is a cry for justice for the oppressed communities. On a similar note, in the context of the caste system in India, the cry for justice has been Delete Lives Matter again for the similar reason that delete lives and delete bodies have not mattered and have been battered for centuries for their bodies have been raped killed tortured disappeared erased and even forgotten the logic of empire Destroys bodies by killings, scatters bodies through terror, and unjustly crucifies bodies, disappears bodies by torture, disintegrates the biopolitics of life, and conveniently writes out the stories of people on the margins. Dalit lives and black lives have not only been hidden transcripts in the face of empire today, but are also forgotten transcripts where their lives are consciously forgotten, and if otherwise, are forced as no humans in our public spheres today. The gospel writer Matthew, in his reworking of Mark's account, has replaced the parable of a seed growing secretly with this unique parable, which the translation of NRSV titles, The Parable of the Weeds Among the Wheat, to communicate about the kingdom of heaven's mysteries. Matthew records both Jesus' narration of this parable to the crowds and its explanation to his disciples so that Matthew's audience would clearly understand the parable. Makes sense. But Matthew took note of every detail in Jesus' explanation of the parable, including the sower being the son of man, the field being the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, The weeds are the children of the evil one, the enemy is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. That's how Matthew transcribes the interpretation of the parable. However, as I read it, Perot says, I recognize a colonial point of view of all lives matter in Matthew's recording of those details. This is where it gets interesting. There is a stark distinction between Jesus's narration of this parable and his explanation of it, where the slaves who are mentioned in the narration are missed in the explanation. This conscious omission in the explanation of the parable demonstrates slaves' lives did not matter, which mirrors the reality of first century Palestine under the colonial Roman Empire. While the rest of the characters in the parable got attention and explanation, the unrecording, the unrecognition, and even erasure of those whose slaves are, who these slaves are, and who these slaves represent in the explanation of the parable, expose a deep interpretational problem. The slaves existed in the original story of the parable, but are somehow forgotten in the interpretation which is only symptomatic of the reality of society at the time, and I would argue, even today. The slaves are forgotten in the worldview of, of the society as nobodies. For the slaves are treated as property, tradable goods, subhumans, dehumans, and no-humans. The slaves, their bodies, and their lives are the forgotten transcripts of both the text and the society, for they are overlooked and are taken for granted as their existence is recognized in their non existence. Now, many commentators cho- chose to explain about judgment and fire in this text, lest they forget that by erasing the lives of the slaves in this interpretation, They have already misjudged that the lives of the slaves do not matter to the story in this parable. So, let's decolonize this text, shall we? It's okay to think critically as you read your Bible. Why don't you say to your neighbor, it's okay to think critically as you read the Bible. Amen. Amen. A decolonized reading of this text therefore challenges us to recover and reclaim the forgotten lives in the text and the context. A recovery of these forgotten lives is by hearing to speech their voices, which is an affirmation of their existence in society. Slaves' lives do matter. Black lives matter and Dalit lives matter in any other marginalized group in our society. So as I apply a decolonized interpretation to this text, I attempt to narrate this parable from the perspective of the forgotten, particularly from a marginalized perspective, for such writing is liberative and therapeutic for our communities. In order to achieve this exercise, and an engage, we have to engage the question, what is Jesus doing today? Because that question takes precedence to the questions of what would Jesus do and what did Jesus do for any given text. The hermeneutic of what is Jesus doing today allows us to reflect on the work of Jesus beyond a textual evidence in a way that God works mysteriously and differently than what God has already done. This hermeneutic gives us space to recognize God's creative ways of revelation, which is different from the paradigms that we have always known, like God's word is only available in the written text. By deconstructing the colonial aspects of scripture, we are deconstructing what an Indian biblical theologian calls scriptural imperialism. So as we are reading this text today, Jesus encourages us encourages the forgotten voices of the slaves in this text to speak. For in hearing to speech their voices, Jesus wants us to join them and wants to join them in solidarity in the movement of justice today. So now I want to introduce to you my fourth great-grandmother, Lucinda Chamberlain. This picture is um, her daughter, Lula Crawley, but I could not find a picture and don't have a picture of my fourth great-grandmother, so I have put up a picture of her daughter, who I'm assuming looks very much so like her. So here is Lucinda Chamberlain, my fourth great-grandmother, born into slavery in 1835 under the ownership of the Long family in Scobie, Mississippi. She labored tirelessly in the fields, nursing and taking care of white children, cooking, laundering, and breeding with her body mulatto children who would also be slaves for her white owners. Tonight, we'll be narrating this parable once again from her perspective, hearing to speech. So let us write again the narrative of those who have been erased For many generations, we as a family have been working under our white owners, the Long family as agricultural laborers. One fine day, we are commanded by our owner to sow the seeds in the field. We worked day in and day out in getting the field ready. And as is our practice, we collectively worked in sowing the seeds. We guarded the field by day. And we guarded the field by night from the pests and took extra care of the field. One night when we were all asleep, the rival group of our owner, who were other slave owners trying to make money, came and attacked us and sowed weeds in our field. But we resisted them. And even though we resisted them, we could not stop them. In that fight, one of our uncles died. And as the plants grew, we noticed weeds growing along with the grain. At that moment, I garnered all the strength in the world, stood up and repeated the words of our former ancestors. It could be your interest to be our master. How could it be ours to be your slaves? We told our owner, should we gather the weeds and the enemies? He did not encourage us to do it. Finally, when the crop came to harvest, we first cut the weeds and bundled it and then reaped the harvest of the grain, gathering it into our owner's barn. When the harvest has come, our master called us as all the family, and he confessed something to us. He confessed to us for keeping us as slaves for several centuries and for sacrificing our lives for the cause of land, money, and power and in response to his repentance, he offered retributive justice by distributing the grain equally among us all and made us to own equal proportion of land along with him. From then on, we all lived in equality, dignity, and justice, sharing and caring for one another without any discrimination. When my fourth great grandmother, Lucinda, writes this parable, she explains that it is not the master who has sown the seeds, but it is her and her family, black laborers who did that work. It was her family who collectively worked and guarded the field from the enemies. And it is her family that receives attacks and even lost a life of one of their family members in protecting the field. Grandma Lucinda stood up and spoke truth to the slave owner, which was costly but necessary. And it was her family that cut the weeds and reaped the harvest. And through their acts of care for the field and resistance to the enemy, Grandma Lucinda and her family challenged the slave owner to repent and offer retributive justice by sharing that land with them does that interpretation sound a little bit more like Jesus? Let us not erase the voices, lives, and stories of people who are actually doing the work. Because wherever society is erasing stories, that's where Jesus is. Wherever society is looking over, ignoring, or not helping, that is where Jesus is. Wherever the poor and needy are, that is where Jesus is. Wherever the slave has set up camp, that is where Jesus is. Wherever the indigenous, whatever the indigenous woman needs, that is where Jesus is. Wherever the black woman is sitting, that is where Jesus is. Wherever the queer folk are trying to exist, that is where Jesus is. And Jesus is inviting us to pay attention wherever erasure is happening. May we pay attention where forced silence is happening. Pay attention when bodies go missing and nobody pays any mind. Pay attention to who's not at the table you're sitting when you bring those who are on the outskirts, those whose backs are against the wall, those who live on the margins of society and you choose to center their lives, their experiences, and their stories, liberation and dignity for all will always be there. And when we as people of color narrate our own stories, we take control of our representation, explaining and celebrating the agency of liberation within us, For generations, the colonial perspective imposed powerful perspectives on us, misrepresenting and objectifying our lives, even distorting our connection with God in order to seek converts. However, when we write, we challenge these falsehoods, offering an authentic, subversive version of our experiences. Through our writing and truth-telling, through our music and our drawing, through our crocheting and our creating, we tell our stories and find liberation. As we read this text from a decolonized lens, we unite in support and solidarity with Black Lives Matter, Dalit Lives Matter, and recognizing the liberating power within our bodies of color, our lives, and our narratives. We must never forget, overlook, erase or take for granted the lives and stories of marginalized people for the divine works within and through them through us may those with ears to hear listen and understand as the band or family comes up let's give jesus the last word lord jesus what do you want us to know And what do you want us to do with what we have heard tonight? Let's take a moment of silence. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, help us to use our power and creativity to give attention and platform to the narratives that have been overlooked, erased, or misunderstood. With your divine inspiration and guidance, may we be agents of change and co-creators in a world that celebrates the beauty of every individual and the richness of their journey. Amen. For more resources or information about Kaleo, please visit our website at kaleophx.com or follow us on social media. If this episode has been helpful to you, let us know or share it with someone you know.